Well, let's pick up where we left off last week in our study of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you want to open your Bibles there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's so important for us to study Paul's writing to the Corinthians here concerning these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, and and more importantly, not, not so much the specific gifts, but to understand the importance of the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. He's sent here to help us. He's sent here to reveal to us what the will of God is for us individually and corporately as, as a local assembly. And it's important for us to understand how he works and how he doesn't, but also why he works. And Paul has made it clear that the very purpose of these nine gifts, as well as the, the other gifts, the other manifestations of the Holy Spirit in our life, the reason that the Holy Spirit works in these ways and manifests himself these ways in our life, both individually as well as corporately, is for our edification, to build us up spiritually, to give us an understanding of the will of God and then give us the ability to do the will of God. And so when we study these things, hopefully it's not just a cold study, but it's trying to help us to understand who and from where our help comes. We need to look to the Holy Spirit to give us what we need when we need it. And these gifts are exactly what those manifestations are for. As we know, the Corinthian saints, they were abusing these gifts, and they were using them to promote themselves. And that, of course, caused great division But when we come together as the people of God in the name of Jesus, we need to come with unity. We need to have the same mind. And that mind is not the mind of Doug Crook. It's not the mind of anyone else that we can mention here today. The one mind that we are to all have and submit to is the mind of Christ. What is truly going to be to the glory of God and for the good of God's people? That's how we need to approach life in general certainly how we need to approach when we come together as a local assembly. What is it that is going to bring glory to God, and what is it that we can do in order to encourage others to continue to walk in the will of God and to bring Him glory? So we'll pick up where we left off. We are now ready to consider the gift of prophecy, the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is simply the foretelling or the forthtelling of the will of God. And to know the difference, to foretell is to tell the will of God before it happens. And often this is the only definition that, that we think of when we hear the word prophecy. Well, that's, we're predicting something that's going to happen. And that certainly is a part of prophecy, but that is simply the foretelling. When you look at the Old Testament prophets, as well as we'll look at an example of a New Testament prophet, they are telling ahead of time, before it happens, what the will of God is and and how it will happen. So that's the foretelling of the will of God. But prophecy can also simply be the forthtelling, to tell forth what the will of God is. And that can be done in many different ways. But when it's the will of God, and when it's true, and when it's accurate, that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Acts 21. And we'll read verses 10 and 11, where we have an example of this gift of prophecy 
being exercised in the early church. And remember, we've already established through Scripture that all of these different ways that the Holy Spirit manifests himself, these different gifts, are still in operation among God's people today. The Holy Spirit hasn't retired any of his tools, any of his gifts that he uses, but he chooses when, where, and how. He manifests himself for the purpose of bringing glory to God and edifying God's people. Acts 21, verses 10 and 11. As we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Abacus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the the Holy Spirit. Again, this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, this was prophesied before Paul went to Jerusalem, before it happened. So this is a foretelling of the will of God. And he accurately foretold the will of God because it happened just like he said it would. But this was not news to the Apostle Paul. Remember how I mentioned early on in in this series that these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit are not to be in place of the personal leading of the Holy Spirit in our life. God had already revealed to Paul that he was going to be bound in Jerusalem, that he was going to suffer persecution. He already knew that because the Holy Spirit had already personally led him to do this. So this wasn't news to Paul. Paul knew that he was led by the Holy Spirit to Jerusalem and that he would suffer persecution. The prophecy that was given here was more for the benefit of those who loved Paul and supported him and wanted God's best for him. They needed to hear that this was the will of God that was going to happen to Paul. But the problem was, if we would read this in context, the other Christians that were with Paul, they heard this prophecy and they interpreted it as being a prohibition. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem because you're, you're going to be, suffer persecution and be bound, and, and that surely can't be the will of God. But it wasn't a prohibition. It was simply stating this is the will of God, and it will happen just like this. And when it was all said and done, these brethren that didn't want anything bad to happen to Paul because they loved him, their final conclusion was, the will of the Lord be done. May the will of the Lord be done. And that should always be our conclusion. Personal prophecy is not a substitute, as this was a personal prophecy, but it is not a substitute for being personally led of the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't need that prophecy in order to do the will of God. He already knew what the will of God was. But the prophecy was necessary to let those around him know this is going to happen, and it's okay. It's the will of God. And so we need to always remember that. Acts 27, verses 9 and 10. Here we see that Paul received a personal message for his protection, but then he also prophesied to those that around him that needed the comfort of knowing what the will of God would be. Acts 27, verses 9 and 10. This, of course, is in the middle after he had suffered persecution in Jerusalem, was headed to Rome as a prisoner. Along that trip, in that boat trip, they suffered a a storm that was going to kill them. I mean, it was going to take the boat down, and and they were all going to die. That's 
That was what everybody perceived the situation to be. But in Acts 27, 9 and 10, Paul prophesies. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. But then in verse 24 through 26 of this same 27th chapter, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all these who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So these were details that were prophesied. They were revealed to Paul, and he revealed them to others. This is an example of the foretelling of the will of God, of prophecy. Now let's look at foretelling for just a minute to tell forth the will of God. Knowing what it is, it's not necessarily predicting, but just this is the will of God. Preaching is a proclaiming of the will of God. Peter at Pentecost revealed the will of God. This is the will of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That revelation of the will of God doesn't necessarily have to be previously unknown. Again, that's what we normally think of prophecy, but That's not necessarily always the case. True prophecy will never contradict the written will of God. Remember, these are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who wrote, who inspired the book, the Bible. And so he'll never contradict himself. And so this is one way that we can judge the abuse of prophecy among God's people. Once again, we Pentecostals tend to have this problem of embracing anybody that speaks in tongues or talks about prophecy or these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, we believe that too. We believe in healing. And so anybody who uses these words and these terms, we're just going to embrace them. But we need to stop and think. We need to examine everything, every ministry, every sermon, every prophecy in the light of the Word of God. Because many of these, for example, we mentioned about the the many healing ministries that there are, many of them are nothing more than carnal sideshows that are a reproach to the gospel. And yet I know many Christians who believe Paul's teaching who embrace those false ministries as if they were the most wonderful thing on the planet. And yet the things that they teach are contrary to the teaching of the Bible. And so we're not to embrace them. We are to reject them. We are to expose them as impostors. The same is true with prophecy. There's been so much abuse with prophecy. I can give you example after example. There, there are those, I'll just mention them so again so we can expose the errors. There's a group, a church group that's called the Vineyard, and they specialize in prophecy. And they teach classes on how to prophesy. And so they've got all kinds of prophets. And if, if you want to know the will of God, you need to go to one of these prophets so they can tell you what the will of God is for your life. Saints, it's that, if that's how you live your Christian life, you're living dangerously. You need to learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit for yourself. First of all, through the Word of God. That's how you begin to be familiar with the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to us through the Word of God. 
And then once you have hidden the word of God in your heart, the Holy Spirit can use that then to continue to lead you and direct you in all these other decisions of life that we have to make. But that kind of prophecy, it is often wrong. First of all, it's so general that it it could be true or not true. That's not prophecy. That's not the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice the specific details that are given in the, the examples that we read. If it's of God, those, those details will happen just like he said, if it's the Holy Spirit. I have, I've got a cousin who married a, a fireman who was in a, a tragic accident where he's now an invalid. And there was another cousin of mine who said, there, there's a, a prophecy that's been given that if you will bring your husband to be prayed for by this particular man, he will be healed. That was a declaration that this man made. My cousin took her husband to be prayed for. He was prayed for. He's still an invalid today. Who was wrong? Did God fail? Did God speak something and it didn't happen? No, God didn't speak it. Deuteronomy 18. This is how you judge whether a prophecy is of God or not. Now, so we're clear. I do believe that the Holy Spirit still can give personal prophecies, foretelling and foretelling. I believe that the Holy Spirit can still give the gift of prophecy to someone to tell what the will of God is going to be before it happens. That's the Holy Spirit. He knows the mind of God. He knows the will of God. And so I believe that this gift is still real. But that doesn't mean we have to swallow all of the abuses and the imposters that there are out there. And so we need to be careful. This is why it's important to study these things. What is the the word of prophecy and what What's the standard by which we are to use? Remember, this whole 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, actually 12, 13, and 14, it's a rebuke that Paul is giving the carnal Corinthians for their abuse of these things and that that shouldn't take place. So if we're not going to fall to the same trap that the Corinthians fell into, we need to pay attention. How do we judge these things? Are they real? Yes, absolutely. The Holy Spirit's real. But what how do we recognize what's real and what's fake? Deuteronomy eighteen twenty to 22. Here we have it clear what a false prophet is. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Here it is. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. That's pretty clear, isn't it? If someone prophesies, predicts the future, if it doesn't happen, it's a false prophecy, and he's a false prophet, he or she. The next gift that we find in 1 Corinthians 12 in the list there is the discerning of spirits. Now, I have noticed among especially Pentecostals that we like to put a special emphasis on prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. And there are some people that, that think if we don't have tongues and interpretation in every service, then the Holy Spirit hasn't moved. And I've always rejected that idea. Because, again, prophecy can be simply the foretelling of the will of God. If God's word is going forth, if I'm preaching what is the word of God, if I'm preaching what the Bible says to be right and true, that's the Holy Spirit. 
And it's the Holy Spirit that will take that word and change and transform our lives. That's the moving of the Holy Spirit. Let's never make the mistake of thinking that the movement of the Holy Spirit is all about shouting and noise, jumping, crying, weeping. The Holy Spirit can impact us that way. I am not against those things. They can be very refreshing times when we are so overwhelmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit that we just can't contain ourselves emotionally. I'm in favor of those times. But the emotional expression is not the moving of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to reveal truth to our hearts. That's what Jesus said, to reveal to us the will of God. That's the movement of the Holy Spirit that I want in my life. It's the Holy Spirit that, that gives us the strength and the ability to leave this place here and go into this dark world in which we live and to live a life of faith, a life that is an example of the believer. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of revival that we need. Now, if the emotional part of is a part of that, I'm all in favor of that. But the real result of the working in the ministry of the Holy Spirit is lives that are transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that I want to see in my life and in this congregation and in individuals. And so often we put emphasis on prophecy, tongues and interpretation and healings. We want those, those gifts. But discerning of, the, uh, discerning of spirits is, is, is an essential gift of the Holy Spirit that we need in the assembly. Let's go to Acts 16 and verses 16 to 18. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 18. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, was that true or, or not true? It was true, wasn't it? Sounds good. It, it was right. It was correct. Verse 18. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Paul had the ability by the Holy Spirit to see the hidden intentions of the heart, and that is whether they are good or whether they are bad. I have noticed over the years that some Christians have this gift and that it's for the protection of God's people. Some can de detect the insincere, carnal, and sometimes evil intentions of others when everybody else is singing their praises. What a wonderful man this is. What a wonderful ministry this is. And yet there are those by the Holy Spirit that see something that others can't see because the Holy Spirit's revealing to them. There was a, a case where this minister was man he could preach. He was a good preacher. He had the crowd. He could stir them up. He one time made a boast to, to another brother and says, man, I, can, I know how to whip up a crowd, don't I? That was a boast he made. And yet everybody else was, what a wonderful spiritual man this is. And others, as I was younger and I began to minister, and some wanted me to, to be associated with this man, and so they, they spoke to him and said, you need to have Brother Doug come and speak for you. He's a good preacher. And so he, that invitation was given. The Holy Spirit checked me. I don't know why. 
nothing had happened that I'm aware of. I, I didn't know anything personally about this one except for everybody was singing his praises. But the Holy Spirit says, no, don't associate. And it wasn't too long after that that it became clear that he was a man of immorality. He was not a man of God. He was not what everybody thought he was. That's the discerning of the Holy Spirit. How needed is that protection among God's people? With all the falseness that there is among God's people, we need this gift just as much as we need the other gifts. And the opposite is true as well. I've known others that have written off Christians. This will never amount to anything, and we're just going to leave him alone. And then the Holy Spirit tells one or two, there's still a heart there. Reach out. Give them the opportunity. It doesn't mean you embrace their sin or their carnality, but you give them the opportunity to do, to do what's right. And so sometimes it has that opposite you can see that God is doing something in that individual that nobody else can see. I thank God for the gift of discernment. Then we have tongues and interpretation, the gift of tongues and interpretation. We've already discussed speaking in tongues as the evidence of having received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But this is something different. Uh, just as every child of God is saved by faith, every child of God has a measure of faith, but not every child of God has the gift of faith. Well, the same is true with speaking in tongues. There, everyone who's received the infilling of the Holy Spirit has spoken in tongues. But that doesn't mean that they automatically have the gift of tongues. Uh, we can read in 1 Corinthians twelve thirty. If you want to turn there, Paul asks a rhetorical question that demands a negative response. 1 Corinthians twelve thirty. Do all have... Gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? Well, rhetorically, no. Do all interpret? Do all have these specific gifts? Paul says no. Not in the sense that they're spoken of here. These are unique gifts that are specifically for the edifying of the body of Christ. <clears throat> tongues as the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, they're not for edification. Therefore, evidence that this experience has taken place. I spoke in tongues when I was filled. I speak in tongues in my private prayer life, but I have never, ever been compelled to give a message in tongues in the public assembly. I don't have that gift. Does it make me any less spiritual? Sometimes people think if I can give a message in tongues, I'm more spiritual. I've often noticed that there are many carnal individuals that for some reason God gives them that ability and that gift. We need to understand the difference here. Now, when you have time, we don't have time this morning, but 1 Corinthians 14, if you want to read that full passage there in, in, from verses 1 to 28 of 1 Corinthians 14, we'll see that Paul makes, makes it clear that tongues as a gift, which is a proclamation of the will of God, and it's a praise of God, but when a message in tongues is given in the local assembly, it should always be accompanied with the interpretation because he's saying that the whole purpose that we come together is to edify one another. And if we don't understand what's being said, how are we going to be edified? Paul goes into great detail here about why it's important. If there's a message in tongues, there always needs to be the interpretation in the language that's understood. 
If I stood up here and gave a sermon in, in Spanish, I could stand up here and preach for an hour. But those of you who don't understand Spanish, would you, would you be blessed at all? Would you be built up in your faith? No. And Paul says it's the same, same thing. Don't just, because there was message after message in tongues in the Corinthian church. And Paul says it's foolish. It's, it's not in order. It's indecent. Because that's not why the Holy Spirit gives the message. And when tongues are given, and I've often been asked, well, if that's the case, why, what's the, why do we need tongues in the first place? Why don't we just have prophecy? I don't know the answer to all of that other than to know that when there's a message in tongues and then there's an interpretation and it becomes clear, especially if it's prophetic in nature, it's just one of the ways that the Holy Spirit manifests himself to let us know he's in our midst, and it's miraculous, and it's beyond our comprehension, and it's beyond what we can do and understand. It's a miracle when there's a message in tongues that's given, and then the interpretation is given, and then it, it, it takes place just like the message was given. That's just one of the ways that the Holy Spirit proves he's in our midst. And so I don't understand all of these things, but I accept what the Bible says is for my benefit. And then I also, Paul makes it clear, that we have every right to judge whether a message in tongues and the interpretation is of the Lord or not. We don't have to just, oh, well, that was impressive. That must be a really spiritual person. I believe that. Paul tells us we're to judge. Is that of the Lord or not? First of all, is it in agreement with the word of God? And secondly, if it's a prophetic message, does it take place? And if it doesn't, it wasn't spiritual. It wasn't of the Lord. And so we reject it. So these are some of the ways that we need to examine how these gifts are ministered in the local assembly. They, they still, the Holy Spirit can still do all of these things. But let's go to 1 Corinthians 14, 39 and 40. And we'll close with this this morning. 1 Corinthians 14. Verses 39 and 40. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. This is something that many Pentecostal charismatic churches have ignored. They are as confused as the Corinthians were when Paul wrote this letter. Everything is to be done decently and order for the glory of God and for the edification of God's people, and then not to reject any of his gifts. We don't reject speaking in tongues. We don't reject the message given in tongues. We don't reject prophecy. We don't reject healing. We don't reject any of these ways in which the Holy Spirit manifests himself. But we understand that he's the one who orders. He's the one who gives as he wills, not as we want, not as we demand, but as he chooses. And our joy and our peace come individually and as we come together as a group, knowing that the Holy Spirit's going to give us what we need when we need it. How many times have individuals come up to me after a sermon and said, Brother Doug, that's, that's exactly what I needed. This is what I'm going through. I didn't know that, but the Holy Spirit did. He'll give you what you need when you need it. But we need to acknowledge that God is working in our midst and then surrender to how he works. Well, let's close there this morning.